Welcome to the Stonelaw Church Podcast. I'm Neil Watson. And whether you are a regular worshipper with us, or whether you just listen to this podcast, I pray that the, the words of the message would be a real blessing to you, and that it would bring you closer to God as you experience more of the love of Jesus in your life. So we come to the final sermon in our series, and I'm pretty sure that Jonah would have much, much preferred his book to end at the end of chapter 3 than chapter 4, but didn't end at the end of chapter 3. If it had, then he could possibly have been hailed as one of the greatest prophets of all time as he goes into the heart of the Assyrian Empire and converts 120,000 people. He may well would have been one of the greatest prophets of all time. Mass revival in the back of his ministry and the message that he brings to Nineveh. However, it doesn't end at the end of chapter 3, and we do have chapter 4. And like I was saying earlier, the thing with God is that while he would have been pleased with Jonah and his willingness to finally go to Nineveh, he's always concerned about our heart. And that's what chapter four is about. You know, questions need to be asked. You know, what are our motives when we approach certain things? Are we doing things from the, from the right place within our heart? Or are we doing things to make a name for ourselves? Are we looking to try and, and get the glory for the, the things that we do uh, in the name of our Lord Jesus? Are we doing them from that right place of looking to serve and with a pure heart? And that's why chapter 4 is so important. There is a lot of things in here because it reveals to us Jonah's heart was to where his heart was with regards to Nineveh, to other nations uh, in the world that weren't Israel, that weren't part of of his nation. And the thing is, I've called this series The Prodigal Prophet for a number of reasons, and one of them is that Jonah acts very much like two of the characters in The Prodigal Son, the parable that Jesus told. The first one, there is the, the younger son who decides to run away, off by himself, away from the father, decides to go his own way and to, to hang with, with everyone else. I'm not going to slog here, just I want my inheritance now and I'll go and uh, live my life. And he's going to do it his way. But the thing is, in chapter 4, Jonah acts very much like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son, where he's petty, he is critical, he's angry, and He's not happy with what is going on. And as we open up chapter 4, we find that Jonah is angry with God. 
Surely punishment was in order for the, the, um, the ridiculous amount of crimes and violence that had been committed by the Ninevites. Surely they deserve the punishment that was coming to them. This makes us mindful of how differently we as human beings in our world acts to the way that God acts, where we might seek revenge in the name of justice. As I said last week, we need to make sure that we are protecting ourselves from that kind of thinking. But ultimately, Jonah is actually questioning God's position as the, the creator and the ultimate judge of the world that he has created. He's the father of all people and animals, and as you'll find out, plants. We need to resist the urge of falling into the pattern that Jonah did. And it's not for us to judge anyone at all. It's not to justify their behaviors and their, and their actions. Far from it. But it's not for us to judge them. God will do that. It's not for us. And God will do whatever he chooses to do. But here in chapter 4, we see that God does something amazing. That despite Jonah um, resisting him and questioning him, God is patient and he acts tenderly towards him. He comforts him before finally giving him another instruction. So let's get into the scripture. So in verse 1, we read, But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. Jonah is angry with God because he has spared Nineveh. You know, before we started, Morag said, should I read the last verse from chapter 3? And I said, no, I want us to start at chapter 4. Because all of that that has gone, this is where Jonah is. He's seen all of that stuff. But as we open up chapter 4, we read, it was displeasing to Jonah and he was angry with God. Jonah's angry because he didn't want Nineveh to be spared. He didn't want them to be spared. He shows a, a, a trait that was so prevalent amongst his people, which was he didn't want God shared with anyone. Didn't want God shared with the Gentiles. You know, it was the same in, in Jonah's day and even right up through to to Paul's day, when we read in 1 Thessalonians that he, he realizes that his ministry to the Gentiles is being derailed. And what he says is from those in Judea, that there are still people even in Paul's day, not wanting the Gentiles to hear this message of salvation and be introduced to their loving father. Even Paul struggled with it. Because they'd forgotten their original purpose. You know, when we read in Genesis with, with Abraham and God is saying to him, you know, you, you need to be the, the, the one that will create the nation that will, that will go and share this, this amazing news and be a blessing to the rest of the world. The world would be blessed through your nation. 
They'd forgotten that. You know, Jonah thought that God shouldn't freely give his salvation to this wicked pagan culture. Yet that's exactly what God did. And he continues to do for every single person who, who comes to him even to this very day. And verse 2 reveals the, the reason why Jonah was reluctant to go to Nineveh in the first place. He says, he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said would happen when I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. But I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. I don't know about you, but that would have wanted, I would have wanted to go. That's a rubbish excuse. Rather than seeing this as a great thing, that we have a compassionate God who was going to relent from punishing. Well, that's a bad thing. I'm going to run away off. No, we see Jonah's heart revealed in full HD color here as he didn't want the Ninevites forgiven. He wanted them destroyed. Jonah was forgetting that the God of Israel was actually the God of the entire world, the entire universe. And the thing is, that's a, a real stop and check my, my heart moment, if there ever was one. I don't know about you, but I feel convicted when I reflect on uh, this chapter of Jonah. You know, sometimes it can be possible that, that we get surprised when we maybe even skeptical when we hear of someone who is unlikely, the unlikeliest individual or character to have a transformational experience with God and they've completely changed their life. And we might become skeptical of it, suspicious maybe, and we're definitely surprised, especially when we come up against people who maybe had a past, and it's not for us to, to judge or we should rejoice in it, not run away from it like Jonah did. We need to protect our hearts from that. The thing is, because even if we've been looking over these last few weeks, as we looked at grace and, and mercy, we actually don't deserve to be forgiven by God at all either. But it is only through his grace and his mercy that is found in Jesus that we are. And we need to remember that. But Jonah has quickly forgotten God's mercy for him. You know, while he was in that belly of the big fish, Jonah was happy when God saves him. But ridiculously angry that he has saved an entire city. And Jonah's learning a, a valuable lesson here about God's mercy and forgiveness. That God's forgiveness was not only for Jonah or people like Jonah, but it was extended out to all people who would repent and believe. Equally, I don't think it's out there to think that Jonah was probably concerned about his own reputation as well. 
He's probably worried about his own reputation. He knew that if the people repented and that he has a gracious and compassionate God who would step away from punishment and show them mercy, that what he was telling people would happen wouldn't happen. So to the outsider, he could have got it totally wrong. People may have looked at him and accused his prophecies as being utter nonsense. His pride would probably be hurt. And equally, as he went back home, I'm sure his friends and his family would have been just waiting for him to come home and say, what was it like? What was it like when Nineveh got absolutely destroyed? Tell us what it was like. What did God do? And then he has to go home and say, well, your God didn't do it. Still there. He's probably worried about his pride. He's clearly concerned about his own glory rather than giving all the glory to God. And another interesting thing that we find with this chapter is that he's praying for the second time in this book. The first was when he was in the, the belly of the, the big fish and he asked God to save him. And right here in verse 3, he asked God to take his life away from him. As Warren Wearsby says, Jonah prays his best prayer from the worst of places in the belly of a big fish. And he prays his worst prayer in the best of places in Nineveh where God was clearly at work and present. And after listening to Jonah speak, God asks him a question in verse 4. It says, And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? This is God asking the question of Jonah. Is it right that you should be angry? Jonah's response is unbelievable. Because in verse 5, we read, Then Jonah went out of the city, sat down east of the city, made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. Jonah doesn't even answer the question. He doesn't even answer the question. He goes off and sulks like a spoiled child. God asks him the question, is it right for you to be angry? I think we know that Jonah knows the answer to that. But he takes himself off as a spoiled little child, just like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. He refuses to engage with the father and what the father is doing. And here we have Jonah refusing to get involved in this amazing revival that's happening in Nineveh. Takes himself away off. Tries to run away, or at least tries to get away from the situation. Runs away from God and his call all over again, just like at the beginning of his book. You'd think he would have realized by now that he can't outrun God. But he plonks himself down and he is watching and waiting for what will happen to the city. Even although he already knows the answer to what is going to happen to the city. 
But in verse 6, we read that, that God ministers tenderly and compassionately to Jonah, even although he's sulking, just as he's done to Nineveh and Israel and to each and every one of us. It says here, the Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. You know, God could have destroyed Jonah for his defiance. Right at the very, very beginning of this book, he could have just left him in the sea. But he didn't. He wants Jonah to get it. He wants Jonah to, to understand this important lesson that he wants to teach him. That this is God's world. And if we obey him, repent of our wrongdoings, and we seek forgiveness from a genuine place in our hearts, he will lead us into places of comfort. And his harsh judgment is reserved solely for those who resist and who persist in a rebellion just like Jonah does. And Jonah gets a small taste of it in verses 7 and 8. Because it says, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. God quite graciously provides Jonah with this shade of the plant. And then we read in the morning that this worm comes and the plant begins to wither, which opens up the sun to Jonah. He's now sitting in the sun. And as God had done when Jonah was in the depths of the sea, he is reminding Jonah here of what it is to be lost. To be helpless, miserable, and hopeless. And that's exactly where Jonah is as he's sitting watching this city with the sun beating down on him. He gets another, another small taste of what it is to lose the shelter of God in his life. And the outcome of that is that Jonah wishes to be put out of his misery by God. And it's interesting, I don't expect you to remember this because it was a while ago, the very, very first sermon from the first series that we did here on the book of James. In James chapter 1, he writes, Or the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Jonah was clearly double-minded here calling Nineveh to repent, but unwilling to do that for himself. One minute he is preaching God's word to these people. The next minute he's disobeying it by attempting to outrun God, run away from his call on his life. And the interesting thing about the situation is that the sea the sailors, the, the big fish, 
the Ninevites, the plant or the bush, the, the worm, the wind, they've all obeyed God. Every single one of those on that list, they all obey God. But Jonah refuses to. Even although he has the most to gain, this wonderful relationship with God, this responsibility that God has given him, clearly a gift to be able to share God's messages to the world, like he did in Nineveh. And in verse 9, we find God still talking to Jonah. And we might at this point want to be giving Jonah a shake. He's still so stubborn and giving all the wrong answers. But in verse 9, we read, But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And again he says, yes, angry enough to die. Jonah was so angry at the withering of a bush or a plant, but clearly not anywhere near as bothered about an entire city being saved. This withering bush is the thing that tips him over the edge. Not the fact that there's an entire city of over 100,000 people coming to God. He's unable to be moved by that. Not bothered by what could have happened to Nineveh. Just this plant that's been withered away. And the thing is, I don't know about you, but how often have we gotten angry when an object with some kind of sentimental value might fall or is broken? Am I the only one? We get, we're riled up, furious. But the flip to that is how angry, real anger, do we get a righteous anger or even just emotional? When was the last time we got that emotional over a, a family member or a friend who doesn't know Jesus yet? Jonah shows us how easy it is to be more sensitive to material stuff than our, and our own interests than it is to the spiritual needs of the people that are around us. It's a real convicting moment for me. And it's not that losing something that, that means a, a great deal to us doesn't matter, because of course it does. Of course it does. But when it comes down to it, eternal salvation is worth much, much more than something material. No matter how much sentimentality we attach to it. I get a sharp pang when I think of those things. It's clear that Jonah should be convicted, as we are, of 
these things. But it's also clear that despite going through all of this stuff, Jonah still has an issue with God's will. And accepting that it is actually God's world to do with as he pleases. In chapter 1, in his mind, Jonah understood God's will, but he refused to obey it. He decided to go in the exact opposite direction to the way that he was being told to go. In chapter 2, he cries out for help and God rescues him. Which sees him giving his life back to God and a willingness to go to Nineveh. And in chapter 3, he submits to God's call on his life and delivers this amazing message to a city where mass revival breaks out. But, as you read in chapter 4, clearly his heart was not surrendered to God. And Jonah still has this one more lesson to learn, perhaps the biggest one of all. Because in chapter 1, he learns of God's nature, of patience, and that you can never outrun God. In chapter 2, he learns the lessons of God's forgiveness and and salvation. In chapter 3, he learns of God's amazing power as he sees revival with an entire city repenting, including the king. They repent before God and God accepts it. The thing is, as an aside, one of the things that, that seems surprising to me, I'm going to assume surprising to you as well, is that through Jonah's ministry, he'd managed to get a whole city to turn to God. What an amazing ministry that is. And certainly one to aspire to. I'd be happy with Rutherglen, but... We'll start there. But the thing is, it's clear that he doesn't love the people that God has called him to. It seems such a different concept to what we have now. We would certainly hope that the person that is sharing God's word with us and opening up the scriptures, leading us to that place of receiving Jesus, We would hope that that person loved us and cared cared for us. And I certainly hope that you know that I do. I do love you all and care for you. It's such an awesome privilege to, to be able to do what I do. But as we reflect on Jonah's actions, it's in sharp contrast to what we see Jesus doing. We're able to read that as he looks over the city of Jerusalem, he weeps for it. He weeps that they are so far from God. Draws him to that place of of righteous anger that they aren't getting it. And it brings him to tears. And in the book of Acts, we're able to read of Paul as he looks over the city of Athens. And we read that he is greatly distressed by it as he looks over the way that Athens is run and how far away from God they are, he's greatly distressed. But here's Jonah sitting off and looking at a city who have repented 
and he's filled with anger rather than joy and love for these people who have been brought in to that relationship with their heavenly father. He needs to learn about God's heart. He needs to learn about God's heart and God's compassion for those who might be seen as the lost. That God has a desire to bring them into him. And the thing is, sometimes we might fall into that trap too, just like Jonah, that we might wish judgment or destruction upon uh, sinful people whose wickedness seems to demand an immediate uh, punishment. But the thing is, God is more merciful than we could ever be. God feels compassion for, for us all. And we're all sinners and in need of a savior. But he feels compassion for those who we want judged. And he devised that plan in Jesus. But the thing is, that's why when we are praying for certain situations in our world, it might be the the Ukraine and Russian conflict, we need to be able to focus our prayers um, less so on the demanding of a destruction of individuals or people groups, but we need to be praying that they would see the, the errors of their ways, that that Jonah's would rise up, Jonah's with the right heart, to go and to, to illuminate things to them, that they might see the error of their ways, allow the Holy Spirit to experience God's mercy and forgiveness in their life, or the current mess that's in the UK with our, our politics. We need to be praying for men and women in, in Westminster to to step up and lead, to step up and lead. It might be an example to those who are in need of God's guidance and their forgiveness. You know, I looked at social media yesterday, I wish that I hadn't. We need to stop focusing on having a go at individuals and despite their their poor actions. We need to stop seeking vengeance and keep praying that they might repent and turn back to God because it's God's world and God is the ultimate judge. Now the book of Jonah ends with a question here in verse 11. It says, And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left and also many animals. The thing is, only the books of Jonah and Nahum end with a question. Nahum ends with a question about God's punishment of Nineveh. And here in Jonah, it ends with a question about God's pity over Nineveh. And the frustration for me, the frustration for me, I don't know if it's a frustration for you, but it is for me, we don't know what Jonah's answer is. It just ends. It leaves it hanging there. 
How did Jonah do? Would we have wanted to shake him again with whatever nonsense he came out with? Or would he finally get it? Well, we probably hope that he repented and that he rejoiced as these people in Nineveh came to God. You know, I was reading uh, about a, a famous Scottish preacher from the 1800s, um, a guy called Alexander White, who was actually a moderator of the, the Free Church uh, of Scotland back then. But he writes, Jonah came to himself during those five and 20 days or so from the east gate of Nineveh back to gath Hefer, his father's house. So he's confident that Jonah came to himself and that he rejoiced. And I like that. Charles Spurgeon, when speaking about Jonah, he said, let us hope that during the rest of his life, he so lived as to rejoice in this sparing mercy of God. God spared the sailors when they pleaded for, for mercy. God saved Jonah when he prayed from inside the belly of the big fish. God saved the people of Nineveh when they responded to Jonah's preaching. And God answers the prayers of those who call upon him. God will always work his will. And he desires that everyone would come to him to trust him and be saved by him. This is God's world. And the story of Jonah teaches us that if we respond in repentance and obedience with clear hearts before him, God will be gracious and merciful and we'll receive his mercy, not punishment. Because this is God's world. He is everywhere. And we can never outrun him. So shall we pray? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace and mercy. We thank you that despite us not deserving it, you, you lay it upon us. And we thank you for our Lord Jesus, who makes it all possible. And we thank you for the book of Jonah, for the many lessons that are taught in it. Might we take them on board? Might we too understand your love for us, your, your wish to show us compassion rather than punishment? And Father, would you cleanse our hearts by your Holy Spirit? That we would be cleansed of any anger that is in there. That we would be freed up to step into the ministry that you have for us. That we too might go and reach our town. And then once we've done that, we can reach the city. Lord, help us to be that light out in our town. Help us to be angry and emotional 
over the fact that there are so many who don't know our Lord Jesus yet. And we recommit ourselves again to you this morning. Would you use us? Would you use our words, our actions, the way we live our lives as a wonderful witness to each and every person that we meet, that they too might come to know that you are a gracious and merciful God. We offer this prayer in the precious name of our Lord and Saviour Jesus. Amen.